0: This is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. Coming up, part seven of Antifa versus Mike Strickland. And I hope you had a chance to begin again in our last visit together because I think it's good to have that establishing understanding of what's going on in the case. Lots going on. And in fact, I have to just be real straight with you. I had plans to do an entire portion of his story on nothing but the self-defense issue. And I forsook it today, and it'll be on next time, because of some of the just gobsmacking sound things that I've had from compiling this story that I didn't realize I had, I mean, it's been a long time. Right. And also I went to Mike Strickland's YouTube channel and checked out his uh, videos on laughing at liberals. That's his YouTube channel on this person who's the target, if you will, of this, uh, this particular episode, not targets, probably not a right word, but nonetheless, she is the person whom I'm talking about this episode because She is so integral to how this guy got treated in the justice system in Portland and how it was just perfectly okay for people to just send this guy up the river uh, just because they didn't like him. I mean, that's essentially what has happened with that guy's case, with Mike Strickland's case. And I keep trying to tell people, I keep saying, please listen to this podcast. This is such an important story. It is not only a Portland specific story. I am not even in Portland anymore. It is beyond that. It is about how your rights for your First Amendment rights to go out and cover a topic, speak about a topic, be there if you want, are being eroded by the people who call themselves the tolerant crowd. It is just astonishing to me. So I want you to know that that's in the offering today and I it's definitely well worth your time, as it is every week. So that's what's coming up. Also, we're looking forward to Christmas. And if you want a unique gift to uh, give your political savvy friends who are sick of violent mobs, go over to victoriataft.com and check out our Antifa Action Wear. It's really not wear and it's not Antifa Action. It is, I would say, anti-Antifa Action. And uh, we portray them not as they see them. But as we see them, when we watch them make fools out of themselves on the streets and burn things, loot things, and generally make mayhem. Well, yeah, literally and generally make mayhem. So my thing is mock the block. I've got lots of other things going on with respect to Antifa. And what I plan to do, you know, to make money off these guys. Now, I say to this, any money I make supports this podcast. So there you go. Original journalism and that sort of thing. You know the rap. Everybody says that, but I actually do it. But the other thing is, these guys are anti-capitalists. And I'm just simply saying that I would just like to spite them and make money on them. And I know you're listening, Antifa. And I know that because I'm looking at the ratings for the podcast. And you have to go well out of your way to go down a half a point on the podcast ratings from five to 4.5 because you know what that means? People are intentionally on, you know, putting it, giving me a one or something like that. Now this is all inside baseball. This is for you and me. I just want you to support it. I want you to give me a high rating. I want you to tell your friends, I want you to tell them to go get an anti Antifa uh, t-shirt, including by the way, and not excluding men, but this, this is my special thing because the real housewives franchise is absolutely one of my guilty pleasures. I have done a real housewives of Antifa grouping of two groups of these fantastic women who are based on real characters, based on real characters, inspired by real characters. They don't have the same names as the real characters, but they might know who they are. And, I happen to like that. Also, the Antifa Fraud Squad, she tried to say, take two. Also, the uh, Antifa Fraud Squad trucker hat. Uh, Got the big silver sombrero uh, from the folks over at Zazzle. Go to victoriataft.com and see what we do have. And um, get several for your friends, won't you? In fact, I I showed Scott Husing the drawings that we're putting on these this merchandise today and Scott was supposed to be my guest today and he will be at some point in the future when i can figure out my you know technical issues but we had a great wonderful discussion today and he was telling me as he looked through the characters uh that i've had drawn up professionally for for my characters inspired by people that i know or have seen and in the news. Everybody has been in the news. How about that? He said, oh my God, these are amazing. And I go, I know. It's not like I drew them. I inspired them. I told them what I wanted. I said, no, I want this, not that. Anyway, so I'm not going to belabor it, but I just want you to know this show's under attack. Uh, Just fight back, will you? By supporting me. So there you go. Now, Scott Husing was going to be here today and we spent, as I just said, a lot of time today in Seattle, in Seattle, where he is, uh, he's got a couple of things going. He's an author. He's a retired Marine. He's a super cool dude. And he also has a podcast, uh, the Break It Down Show. And that's a fantastic podcast. If you have not listened to that Break It Down Show, please do. Pete Turner is amazing. He's a wonderful host. Scott sits in sometimes. It's, he's part of the part of the whole Rat Pack they've got over there, and it's really cool. It's a great it's a great podcast. I enjoy listening to it. And when I listen to a podcast, I don't usually enjoy a lot of chit chat, so I apologize. Uh, but I like it when somebody can impart some knowledge to me. And oh my gosh, do I have stuff to tell you today? A couple of things. Now I'm paying attention to what's going on as best I can in the election, but this story—I heard the sound bites of this the whistleblower guy, the the truck driver today who carried ballots. He didn't even realize what his cargo was, and sometimes that happens, especially if, you know, dealing with the mob and its bodies or, you know, something. I say that in jest, people, by the way, because we know that the uh, terms of service people, the people who uh, will talk about the the values uh, the family values and, or whatever values that they have on these particular podcasts will call up the Antifa people and they will say, well, you know, I'm doing any number of things that are against the terms of service. And I just want you to know that, uh, yeah, this isn't. So just because I have the adult in the room in the name of the podcast doesn't make it, you know, ew, adult. So on Tuesday, a truck driver testified he had driven thousands of ballots from Bethpage, New York, to Lancaster, PA, two weeks before Election Day. Phil Klein, I'm reading here from my colleague Tyler O'Neill's piece at PJ Media. Phil Klein, a former attorney general of Kansas and director of the Amistad Project at the Thomas More Society, said that they have corroborated this truck driver's story. Now, is it illegal? Well, we'll find out. The evidence demonstrates, and it's through eyewitness testimony that's been corroborated by others, by their eyewitness testimony, by the way, that's direct evidence, that 130,000 to 280,000 completed ballots for the 2020 general election were shipped from Bethpage, New York, to Lancaster. Now, you might ask yourself, what was that? Well, wait a minute now, Victoria, uh, you know, completed ballots. I mean, it's a fluid situation, previous voting. You have mail-in ballots, all this other stuff, blah, blah, blah. Well, they're coming from New York for Pennsylvania. That I'm sorry, but ballots from New York coming to Pennsylvania, unless you are a citizen of Pennsylvania and you just happen to be, you know, in the big city and mailed it, uh, that doesn't, that's a bozo. No, no, you, you don't do that. You don't do that. So they shipped the ballots from Bethpage to Lancaster. Did I say that right? Lancaster. I always like to say it like the the locals and stuff. I probably didn't, but whatever. To a facility, check it, incapable of processing them. Klein explained in the press conference they had uh, earlier in the week A spokeswoman later clarified that the estimate ranges from 144,000 to 288,000 ballots. This evidence demands investigation, said Klein. Jesse Morgan, the truck driver involved, told a story. And Tyler has given us a lovely transcript of what he had to say. And here's what he said. I drive a tractor trailer for the U.S. Postal Service, a subcontractor. I drive a route from Lancaster to Bethpage to Harrisburg and back to Lancaster on October 21st. When I arrived from my usual route for Bethpage, he recalled an expediter made three references to ballots that were to be loaded into my trailer, including saying, Hey, you have ballots today. And he recalled receiving 24 Gaylord boxes full of ballots stacked on top of each other. And he saw that envelopes had, had, written return addresses. They were complete ballots. He said, I didn't think much of it at the time when he arrived in Harrisburg, he was not allowed to offload that mail. I was made, he said, to wait six hours from 9.15 to nearly three o'clock. So he's going to remember what happened. This is well within, it's in, it's in his brain. And he said, I was waiting for the transportation supervisor to get some paperwork so I could prove that I'd been working. Sure, I was sitting around and waiting for you guys, but I was working. The supervisor told me to drive to Lancaster without unloading in Harrisburg. I knew the ballots were loaded for Harrisburg. He also recalled asking for his ticket, the slip that shows he arrived, and he was told no. Supervisor refused to give him a slip. And then he drove to Lancaster. He unhooked I unhooked my trailer in its normal place, and then I drove my truck to where I always park it, he said. The next day, it just got weirder. As I arrived in Lancaster, my trailer was gone. Not there anymore. And and this is kind of funny because he knows exactly the trailer he's driven for years. It's always the same trailer. And I since I started driving that Bethpage route, I've always had trailer 10R1440. He said he liked that trailer. He'd made friends with that trailer. It was fun for him. What happened on October 21st was a series of unusual events that cannot be a coincidence, he said. I know I saw ballots with return addresses filled out, thousands of them, thousands, loaded into my trailer in New York and headed for Pennsylvania. As things became weirder, I got to thinking, and I wondered why I was driving completed ballots from New York to Pennsylvania. I mean, I don't even know why, so I decided to speak up. Colonel Tony Schaefer, who's working with the Amistad Project team, said the organization had backed up Morgan's story. Now, do we know this is illegal? Uh, Not yet. Sure looks weird, don't you think? Well, I don't know. Let's uh, put a few ballots in the back of a truck and drive them to another state. Uh, Ain't nobody doing that. At a press conference, other whistleblowers spoke about postal workers delivering Joe Biden campaign mail while they discarded mail from the Trump campaign. So this is, of course, this is what you call, uh, let's see, what would that be? Hmm, Wait, wait, thinking, thinking, thinking. Ah, evidence, evidence. It's the evidence that the media, and of which I'm a part, by the way, continually say, expressly say does not exist. It's so funny. Have you noticed that? Every single day, there's new evidence of chicanery of some sort at one of the key states in this election. And you know, doggone it, if the the mainstream media just don't, gosh, must have missed that. I eh, what's well, not? It's not evidence anyway, so why would we report it? Now, Jay Christian Adams is a jewel. He writes a lot over on ba- ballot fraud, mail fraud. Ballot fraud at PJ Media. And he thinks, yes, there's ballot chicanery going on, as there always is, and there's probably some really nefarious stuff going on with jiggling the numbers and weighting the ballots, etc. on the Dominion machines as well as others. But he said, don't be afraid to see what you see. So, background. So I get this note. I call it a note. It was a... It was an I am, but whatever. From an acquaintance of mine in Portland, Oregon. And she said uh, a friend of mine works in the Multnomah County elections office. And she got a raise for the election season because some billionaire gave money to Multnomah County elections to help with. Whatever it is they're getting help doing, I guess counting ballots? Which is curious. Do you think that that a blue state like Oregon, for the most part, I would say that in those high concentrations of population and Portland, Salem and Eugene, you're gonna have more blue areas. When you look at a map of Oregon, it's all red for the most part. It's it's just it is what it is. Okay. They need to get rid of mail in ballots because no Republicans have been able to win statewide election, except one, one, since they initiated bail-in ballots. There is something going on, and it's not just demographics, but I digress. So she tells me that this woman got, I can't remember, it's like a $3 an hour raise or something for the duration of the election because some you know fat cat billionaire decided to give Multnomah County elections, uh, tech billionaire, some, some money. And I go, oh, that must be the Facebook stuff, because I happen to know that Fox News kind of talks about it every once in a while. It's just like Tucker Carlson will mention it. Uh, Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg has given away money to certain elections offices to help them supposedly get out the vote, i.e. do their jobs. And he's curious. He keeps asking them, who's getting the money? And it appears that Multnomah County would be one of the cities and they are getting the money. So they're underwriting in the case they can do anything they want, apparently, with the money. this Now, I might be wrong, it could be another program of billionaire oligarchs giving money to an elections office. But my guess is, since it all sort of planets a, a line in the storytelling here, it sounds like the Zuckerberg thing. So they're giving extra money to people we already pay to do their jobs. And this is what my friend told me her friend told her. Now that's obviously hearsay. Um, unlikely that it's not true, however. A double negative makes it true because I just said so. Them's the rules, I just follow them. And so this dovetails with uh, J. Christian Adams' story that he wrote for PJ Media, and I hope we get that on the show notes because, and if not, just go look at him. Here's the headline, the real Kraken. What really happened to Donald Trump in the 2020 election? Now he is a Trump supporter, but he looked at what tech did this election. Now you know, I've already mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that the Google search results and all of the machinations that Google had done to tilt the election toward Joe Biden probably moved six million with an M million votes. To Joe Biden. And that is an, that's a, an underestimation of what really happens. He thinks it might be closer to 13. But nonetheless, he, th- he believes this expert that uh, who looked at it, who's uh, some PhD from Harvard. And he's been looking at uh, tech's um, influence on our lives, and certainly with respect to the elections. And he said, yes, yeah, they moved, they moved 6 million votes for Joe Biden. That's why Joe Biden never had to get out of his doggone His, his hovel. He didn't have to get out of his, his, uh, his basement. He never had to take his mask off. He didn't have to worry. Tech was helping. Here's how. J. Christian Adams. Eric Holder, he said, believe it or not, remember Eric Holder, the attorney general uh, for Obama. We're getting ready to have the third term of Obama. That's what everybody's saying. I have every reason to believe that is true. So. Here's what here's what Eric Holder was doing. Eric Holder was undertaking a state legislature act. You know how George Soros has been conducting different programs, throwing billions of his dollars, hundreds of millions, well, a number with lots of zeros after it, to get certain people, only certain people, elected to public office in. The Secretary of State's office, for example, because guess what the Secretary of State does? Secretary of State does audits. The Secretary of State determines the voting rules. The Secretary of State counts the votes. So he undertook this years ago. He also did this with the um, let's see, Secretary of State. He also did it with Attorney Gen- Attorneys General. And then, of course, he had the district attorney's program, because now his big thing is totally undermining the rule of law and civil society. Apparently, he just gets a real kick out of it. Honestly, I have more on that in just a second. But Eric Holder was running a a, um, state legislature effort, similar to what George Soros has been doing. And he was the loser because down-ballot Republicans didn't lose. And those state houses did not turn blue. They remained red or were flipped red. Why is that important? Do you know what 2020 means? 2020 is the year of the census. Redistricting. Drawing the lines. Who's in, who's out. They've got a, a CD, a congressional district in the state of Oregon that touch, it looks like an octopus. It touches so many different places only to keep it safe for Democrats. Er, else there would be a Republican in that particular congressional seat, which there used to be. So this is the name of the game. Gerrymandering is the ball game. And they didn't make it this time. Republicans now control the House and Senate chambers in 31 states, writes J. Christian Adams. The country is a huge swath of red legislative control with Democrats, largely confined to the cultural monoliths on the Pacific Coast and the urban Northeast. The red wave extended to the U.S. House of Representatives, where for now, Republicans have gained nine seats, at his writing. But this wasn't supposed to happen, he said. The president isn't supposed to lose when all the Republicans are winning. Something's fishy. Indeed. Something profoundly fishy happened in the 2020 election. But it wasn't the Kraken or the Kraken or the Venezuelan communists running remote software when they can't even make red light work red lights work in their own country. Those shiny objects will play out with time and examination of the evidence. No. It was right in front of our faces. What was it? What happened in 2020, he says, is something more fundamental. And more profound. It's cultural, it's systemic, and sadly, generally legal. So listen, listen to me now, generally legal. Until Republicans and more importantly, Trump supporters understand what happened to them this year, it will happen again and they will have no defense. So two things happened. COVID, you know, COVID led to the dismantling of state election integrity laws. We know exactly what happened in Pennsylvania. That is why that is being so hard fought by the president. What they did was they flooded in many states, just flooded the zone with ballots intended for who knows who. Aunt Sally who died last year, somebody, your neighbor who moved, any number of people didn't matter. They just mailed them out and people voted them. Then in Pennsylvania, no identification, of course, no ID anywhere in the country. But for the most part, unless you vote absentee, which is why they're doing mail-in balloting. There's another, oh, I see. Yeah, exactly. Then he also writes, COVID led to the dismantling of state election integrity laws by everyone except the one body with a constitutional prerogative to change the rules of electing the president, the state legislatures. Second, the Center for Technology and Civic Life happened, and here's where Jeff Zuckerberg comes in, or Mark Zuckerberg. If you focused on goblins on the voting machines but don't know anything about CTCL and what they did to defeat Donald Trump, it's time to up your game, he says. The Center The Center for Technology and Civic Life and allied groups are responsible for building an urban get-out-the-vote machine of the sort that Democrats could only dream up on a bender fueled by jugs of Merlot and all the legalized pot they could smoke. This year, left-leaning donors Mark Zuckerberg and wife Priscilla Chan gave $350. Million dollars to an allegedly nonpartisan nonprofit, the Center for Tech and Civic Life, which in turn re granted the funds to thousands of governmental elections offices around the country to help them conduct the 2020 election. And if you believe what my acquaintance said about Multnomah County, They don't care about getting the Republicans out, baby. They just want to get as many Democrats out as possible. And they did this in multiple cities all over the place. The hundreds of millions of dollars built systems, hired employees from activist groups, bought equipment and radio advertisements. It did everything that street activists could ever dream up to turn out Biden votes if only they had unlimited funding and you go read the rest for yourself at PJ media, Jay Christian Adams. He's got a lot more details there, uh, but it's true. I, I, I know people who participated in some of the get out the vote efforts for the Democrats. And it was intense. It, it was intense. Uh, you know, and it usually is, but it was especially intense. But they hated, they hated Trump. One more thing. Demographics do play a role California sent a bunch of hundreds of thousands of people in the last decade to Arizona. Arizona went blue this time. Uh, Trump was very close. I would like to still see some of those. Um, there's some ballot chicanery going on there. And that needs to be given an airing, an airing in court. And I believe that he could flip that. But for now, what we, with what we know now, I mean... The Senate seat lost. Martha. I mean, Martha McSally was just not a great candidate. She's on the right side of everything. She's just not a great candidate. I mean, she's such a can-do chick. I mean, she was a fighter pilot and all that stuff, but no, no, no. Couldn't get it done. I mean, she couldn't be, she got all, She. I'm sorry about rattling my papers, you hear that? She got all the endorsements from all the living astronauts. And that could not move the needle for her. It's just so disheartening. But here's the thing. What we really need to do is to put together, I mean, if we still have any control over the U.S. Congress, if we still retain the Senate, real thought, real thought needs to be given to having oligarchs picking winners and losers by funding whatever they want to fund in the government, in this case, the elections offices, that gave an unfair advantage to one political party over another, which is exactly, by, de- by default, exactly what happened. The other thing is, and I don't know if you know this, but in addition to doing all of his programs, George Soros did something else, in the state of Oregon, at least. And like I say, I don't live there anymore. So I think Steve Novick is still working out of the attorney general's office, but George Soros pays his salary. Let that sink in. He funds a position by, this guy's super far left. No kidding. And George Soros pays that dude's salary. And and if I'm wrong and he doesn't pay all of it, he only pays 99.99999%, I stand corrected. The the fact of the matter is we've got an oligarch, we've got a, a billionaire sitting on the sidelines picking winners and losers and saying, oh, well, I'll fund a guy for that state and I'll fund a guy for that state and that's what's going on. And that's wrong. And that's wrong. If we lose the ability to have a clean election, we've lost everything. That's why it needs to be fought now. In fact, I heard Mark Stein say the other day, this is the hill to die on. This is the hill to die on. Now, usually, I, I tell you a funny story here or whatever, but I have to tell you one thing. Okay. Our family got together for Thanksgiving and we broke the laws of three states to do it. Now I, now I think that's funny. Oh, oh, oh. and then another one, I did this story and I totally forgot that uh, the LA city commissioner, yeah, county commissioner who decided that on the same day she voted to, Close down all the outdoor dining because you're know, the danger, danger. She goes to an outdoor dining experience, uh, Il Forno in uh, Santa Monica. I'm like, well, I thought you said it was dangerous. I thought you're forbidding other people to do that. Well, it was still under the permissible time limit, it hadn't been put into effect quite yet. But what cracked me up was I'm these duplicitous so called leaders who depend on what one restaurant owner called junk science to make these decisions because there are no stats showing that there's been a big bunch of people getting COVID at bars and restaurants. It's, they don't point to anything. They can't. It's not even on the list of the top five places and, and, and industries that have given us additional COVID cases. So you got this Sally supervisor just saying, oh, you know, wow, well, that's dangerous. And here she is. She's eating outside. She she thinks eating outside is dangerous. Go, go sit in your padded room. Now, she's also, remember, no, of course you don't remember. But when I was a kid, this will date me. She played in the Dobie Gillis show. So it's the same chick. Same chick. She hasn't learned a damn thing since that show, I think. Wasn't she some hippy dippy, you know, she and Maynard G. Krebs? I don't know. Very interesting. I think she was Sheila. So there's your laugh for today. I mean, you have to, it's a rueful laugh. It's one of those laughs that Soviet Union residents of days gone by have. It's a rueful laugh. It's the shrug the shoulders. Well, it's the government. They just do what they want. You know what? It's our government and we need, Get them to do what we want. Okay, stick around. I want you to listen to the latest episode of Antifa versus Mike Strickland on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. Mike Strickland was doing what he did, showing up to protests or events, recording what was going on, holding up the mirror, laughing at liberals, and he was becoming well known. But somewhere along the line, the liberals became hardcore leftists. Things were more serious now. Protests were more serious. They shall not be mocked. Strickland had to go. As I explained in a previous episode, in June of 2016, Strickland covered a vigil for the victims of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. He figured there would be plenty of anti-gun sentiment.
1: I didn't really have much of a plan going down to this thing. I just wanted to go down, check it out, and, you know, if something crazy happened, then, you know, I'd get it on film or something. With the exception of current and outgoing Portland Mayor Charlie Hales uh, calling for more gun control and a a little bit, a quick little blurb about it from uh, Pastor uh, Mark Knutson of Augustana Lutheran Church, uh, there wasn't much in the way of uh, gun control sediment for this thing. Towards the end of it, I noticed incoming Mayor Ted Wheeler chatting with Ceasefire Organ Director Penny Okamoto, a couple of Moms Demand Action members, and anti-gun interim police chief Donna Henderson. I just wanted to get a shot of them chatting when I happened to notice people pointing at me and mumbling something about white nationalist.
0: to be the pivotal moment that the organized left in Portland, the more hardcore protest crowd, no longer saw Strickland as a benign presence someone to tolerate or put up with, but as an unacceptable presence. There's no evidence that Strickland is any kind of white nationalist, but they noticed that label made him defensive. Unlike now, where everyone right of center is called a Nazi, a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, all of Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables, in the summer of 2016, Antifa and Black Lives Matter had not weaponized the words quite like they do now. Being called a racist in Portland was going nuclear. Someone began the slur. Someone made it up. And friends in high places we're listening. One of Strickland's favorite objects of mockery was listening as well. Penny Okamoto of the anti-gun group Ceasefire Oregon was one of Strickland's favorite targets. Content she provided was gold. He followed her to public events to see if she would reveal herself. She did. In spades. Here she is in 2015.
1: Okay. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard someone say it's my God-given right to have a gun the Constitution says so I know for a fact the Constitution was not written by God okay so we have you know what would Jesus carry <laughs> seriously seriously we have gun packing churches you know we have church picnics bring your guns Bring your guns to the church picnic. I, like I said before, I'm not a Christian, but I do know that one of the things they say is turn the other cheek, not load another bullet. So, yeah, I I don't understand that.
0: Mockery of basic unalienable rights, Jesus, all Christians, and the U.S. Constitution in one soundbite. The woman heading Oregon's biggest anti-gun lobby seemed to be a bigot. Strickland didn't have to say so. He turned on his camera and followed her to public events to record her comments. Her hatred of him started somewhere in 2012, 2013. This clip at an Organizing for America, Obama's group, anti-gun rally in downtown Portland. Okamoto confronts Strickland.
1: Like a little squirt who wouldn't even tell me your name and then you took my video and you put it on YouTube. The little right? what? <laughs> Didn't you put it on YouTube? Yeah. You're a little squirt. You wouldn't even fess up and tell me who you were. I don't think you asked for my name. You asked me, you, you came over, you came up to me and said, You're hi, can I help squirt. you? And I said, you should grow up. To <laughs> up. Shame on you. You came over to me and said, hi, can I help you? And I said, about what? I was confused. Shame on you. What do you mean shame on me? For what? For what I just said. <laughs> oh, for what? I, t- I, t- I took your own words and I posted it up on YouTube.
0: In 2015, he traveled hours from Portland to cover a seminar at which Okamoto was speaking. In a Q&A, an advocate for the background check bill, Okamoto, told a man to ignore her own background check bill. Strickland labeled the video he posted, Penny Okamoto says to break Background check law she supports. Okay,
1: you know I mean, what? It's actually no, easy. No, it's actually easy answer. You're saying, an you're answer. saying that there's no weight, so there's no problem. No, no, I'm there's actually there is a weight, even, so there is a there's 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 an easy answer. If you trust that your friend is not a criminal, okay, and is not a prohibited person? Then you know, if you want to take that chance, go ahead. Sure. But you're putting your freedom on the line. If you want to do you that, that speaker, can't do that. that. That's a whole business. Excuse me, we're talking about the same
0: thing. We're talking about
1: a background check. And that's the thing that makes it kind of... All I'm saying is that if you want to take that chance, that it's your liberty and your friend. If you believe that your friend is an upright person, good for you, good for you for having great friends, and it's your liberty, it's up to you. But we don't have to be subjected to that.
0: By March of 2016, Okamoto was more than a well-trenched Portland leader. Here she is at a gang enforcement confab at which Attorney General Loretta Lynch was expected. Okamoto stood up to announce to the mildly surprised crowd of community leaders and police officers to explain to everyone who Strickland was. Strickland entitled his video, Penny Okamoto Tantrum Disrupts Police Gang Unit Meeting. I apologize
1: for interrupting, but I need to let you guys know this guy here, and Michael Strickland, that's the a website William Saunderson. He will take everything you say. This he will try to put it on daylight disinfectant. He will try to mock everything you say. We have free speech. So we have free speech, but all of you should know, he's not a legitimate reporter. This is what he's here for, to make all of you look bad. This so ain't an legitimate you. Just want to let you know, he yeah, has right
0: to be here, but that's what he's about.
1: I would object to the stuff that she's just saying about me here.
0: Uh, but you know what? Y'all ain't hijacking this meeting. That was I got crazy. love. We've had enough. This is about love. Now, I don't know how you can twist and turn. Okamoto took the occasion to what they called dox Strickland to set him apart, even if she did get his YouTube handle wrong. Later at the same meeting, she whispered to another videographer live streaming the event that she thought Strickland was a powder keg. It went out on the live stream. But the leftist videographer was having none of it. It said she would not be handled by a politician.
1: As Loretta Lynch no-showed at the Portland Gang Violence Forum, and chaos descended as people brought up the Fast and Furious scandal... Uh, live streamer Abstract I happened to be seated next to Penny Okamoto, and it seems as though uh, Miss Okamoto is not too happy with me. Uh, let's listen in on what uh, Miss Penny Okamoto of Ceasefire Oregon had to say about me.
0: Okay, I'm going to stop because I want to be respectful again with this He's a i That's why I'm we're trying little to. Little
1: don't tell me. All don't. All excuse all me. Just, just stay in your lane. You don't need I'm to, problem problem handle, because me. Because don't to handle me. You don't need to handle me. Thank you.
0: Strickland was making an impact and enemies. He's on spectrum slightly, but a powder keg? Okamoto didn't like the attention Strickland was paying her, and she let everyone know it in her powerful political circles. Calling Strickland a powder keg was a slander, and were it not for his notoriety, was probably actionable. Heck, maybe it is. She spread it around in her circles, and he had her on video doing it. Strickland was over the anti-gun crowd's target. In 2016, he covered a gun policy forum. Okamoto came in later and sat behind him. After it was over, she approached Strickland. Strickland took the opportunity to thank her.
1: Penny, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of all the thousands of viewers of Laughing at Liberals for providing us with hours and hours of comedic relief from your presentations, Penny. Thank you so much for your presentations that you've done. What did you, what did you say about me just there? That I think you're... Hey, I'm going to need you to stop filming in here. Private event. Okay, thank you.
0: Some people think Strickland went too far that laughing at liberals wasn't really very nice, and his videos upset his subjects. But obviously Strickland didn't see it that way. He had one of the biggest beats in the state, all to himself. And he was covering it and making a little money from doing it. If she were going to have this much power in Oregon politics, he reckoned, someone had to capture the stuff she was really saying. His motto was basically comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. They decided to do it back violently. Antifa and Black Lives Matter at the Don't Shoot Portland Black Lives Matter rally violently tried to throw him out. They tried to boot him out of the Portland public protest. And when a mob surrounded him and menacingly chased him to do him obvious harm, he drew his weapon a Glock 26. No shots were fired. The mob backed off. A success in self-defense. His self-defense action saved him, exactly as intended. The police wrote him up for a couple of misdemeanors, told him to show up in court. His arrest provided an opportunity for his haters. And as Penny Okamoto saw it, It was an opportunity to ruin Strickland's reputation completely. The final straw. The powder keg had blown. She could finally ostracize him from Portland's not so polite society. Somebody got on the phones to the DA's office. When Strickland made an appearance, he was jailed in lieu of $250,000 bail. Two misdemeanors. Those two misdemeanors became 21 charges, including felonies.
1: Now at noon, another court appearance today for the man caught on camera waving a gun at protesters in Portland last month, and now he faces a lot more charges. Michael Strickland faces 21 counts connected to that incident. Good afternoon, I'm Ashley Korsland, in for Brenda today. KGW's Tim Gordon is outside the Justice Center in downtown Portland, and Tim, a lot of these charges are felonies. Yeah, Ashley, the unlawful use of a firearm charges are felonies and there are now nine of them. That's because a grand jury returned this indictment saying there are nine victims. This is Strickland on July 7th at a rally over the police shootings of two black men in Minnesota and Louisiana. The 36-year-old, who some described as a counter-protester, told police he felt threatened by demonstrators and that's why he pulled out his handgun. No shots were fired. Nobody was hurt. But witnesses say it was terrifying. Police eventually got to Strickland and arrested him. They say he had five magazines of bullets and a knife, along with the loaded handgun. In court today, the counts on the weapons charges climb from two to nine. He also faces the same number of menacing charges and one for disorderly
0: conduct. I talked to Strickland recently about what that increase in charges meant.
1: They've essentially legalized mob violence. They're saying that it is not unlawful when a gang of masked thugs uses physical force, threats and intimidation to prevent someone from engaging in first amendment rights in a public area. So that inv- it invalidates self-defense, it invalidates the the first
0: amendment and the second amendment. In 2016, I reached out to Penny Okamoto for an interview. I had some questions. We chatted and she said she'd get back to me about an interview.
1: Hi, this message is for Victoria Taft. This is Penny Okamoto with Ceasefire Oregon. Uh, we uh, spoke a little while earlier about uh, an article or a series that you're doing on Michael Strickland. And uh, actually, I'm going to decline the interview. Um, I appreciate what you're what you're doing. I appreciate reaching out to me, but I decline the interview, and I uh, don't give permission to have uh, any quotes that I used earlier uh, said in this. So I think the less said about Michael Strickland, the better. Um, but I do appreciate you uh, reaching out to me,
0: and I wish you good luck in this. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, some powerful people seemed to get what they wanted. Strickland was out of the way. But what about justice? Next time on Antifa vs. Mike Strickland. Let me know your thoughts on the series. Get in touch with me at victoriataft.com. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by victoriataft.com and our Antifa action figures just in time for your Christmas buying season. There's Radar from Soy Stream News Miss Warlord and our special collection of the real housewives of Antifa. Batgirl the Antifa camp counselors and much much more. Look for my web store soon at Zazzle. Get the link at victoriataft.com soon and put your favorite characters on shirts mugs, masks, stationery mock your favorite leftist Collect all 12 initial characters and make a calendar. Enjoy these unique and beautifully illustrated figures, Uh, not the way they see themselves, but the way we see them. Editing, mastering, advertising, technical support, and understanding for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. The music is gospel by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. Music for The Case of Mike Strickland is Ride or Die by R.C., and it is used by permission. Find R.C. on all social sites at Raps by R.C. Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Instagram at Raps by R.C. Imaging for the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Logo by Heigeman Creative. Find him on Instagram. Photo of Victoria Taft is by Hilly Collective. The Adult in the Room podcast is produced by Flamingo Road Studios. All rights reserved.